Hi, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Scale by Intercom. Scale is our dedicated content resource on the Inside Intercom blog, where you can find a wealth of materials, including podcasts, of course, that explore how businesses are driving growth through customer relationships. Every second week, you'll hear from guests on a range of topics, from customer experience to sales and marketing, and you'll hear about the strategies and frameworks that they've used to chart new paths for their customers and their companies. Our guest this week is one of the leading voices on customer-centric leadership. When it comes to the role of the chief customer officer, well, Jean Bliss literally wrote the book on it. Over the course of her three decades long career, Jean has coached about 20,000 leaders, given roughly 1,500 keynotes and written four books, all with the goal of empowering businesses and leaders to unlock the benefits that come with being more customer-centric. My conversation with Jean today covers what it takes to create a really sustainable, customer-centric business strategy. It's a really interesting chat, so let's head over to the studio and take a listen. So Jean, you are so very welcome along to Inside Intercom today as part of our Scale series. We're delighted to chat with you about your work as president of Customer Bliss, but also beyond that. So to kick us off, I mean, I think a lot of our audience will be very familiar with your work, but do you want to give us a bit of background on yourself for anyone who hasn't come across it before? Sure, absolutely. And thanks so much. It's lovely to be with you. You know, my my work in uh, building humanity in the business started when I was a child. My dad had a Buster Brown shoe store and I watched him take care of people and he became a part of the story of people's lives. So much so that when he retired, a line of people three blocks long stood to say goodbye to him. And that's my work today, in fact, is encouraging people Uh, to find their three blocks long. How will they be remembered all throughout when they interact with people for how they improve their lives, for how they behave, for how they show up as people? My career began in a really wonderful way. I was at Land's End um, helping Gary Comer, the founder, grow that business. We went from 100 million to a billion dollar company. I was the first version of a chief customer officer there. Gary called me the conscience of the company as we were growing over 80% a year, we needed to make sure we, as we brought lots of people in, we stayed in concert with the values that made us grow in the first place. And then I went to a number of other companies learning and stretching and and building out this role in this work. I'm from Land's End. I went to uh, Mazda Motor of America and then Coldwell Banker, where I was a senior vice president, Allstate, the first vice president of um, customer satisfaction and loyalty. And then finally, to Microsoft, where I was the first general manager of worldwide customer and partner loyalty. And um, after that, I wrote four books. And I'm also the co-founder of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. Since 2002, I've uh, been coaching leaders around the world, coached about 20,000 leaders, and uh, have given about 1,500 keynotes. That is amazing. I think, you know, on there's there's so many points in that career that you could probably do an episode on in and of itself. <laughs> but it strikes me, Jean, that across your your 35-year career, you've really been at the forefront of modernizing the discipline that you work in. And, you know, I love that your understanding of the role, you know, as you as you kind of alluded to there with your three blocks long ideology, it really, it's really deep rooted in your personality and and goes back to your childhood. 
It is. It's kind of hilarious in a way. Um, it, and it's not just my dad. It's also in my bones. I'm, I'm a hundred percent Italian. And so I, I think I'm just, you know, wired for this work. It's, it's also fascinating because what, as this work was starting to become understood and known, it, it didn't really fit into any bucket, if you will. I sure. remember a long time ago when I was in my twenties, in fact, I was interviewing for a job. I think, I think it was for the gap. My, my formal degree is in retail marketing and I have another one in apparel design. And they um, put me through a, an assessment and this work is right brain, left brain. You need to know the data, but then you have to weave it into a story and engage people and make it be real and human. And they couldn't figure out where to place me because I would have fit in both sales and marketing, which were the two things at the time. And, uh, you know, what's fascinating for me is that it's really about uniting and being glue, gluing together organizations to understand the life from the customer's point of view. Yeah. And that seems to have been an, uh, an insight or a perspective that you've, you've championed throughout your career. I always think that anyone that has worked in a, a discipline that's evolved over their career has a really unique vantage point in terms of predicting where that discipline might go in the future. Yeah, it's been fascinating. You know, I mean, I've lived through every derivation of this TQM, quality, you know, all of those things. And at the end of the day, it's it's about finding leaders to listen and taking it seriously and taking it personally. And so, you know, a notion that we still do around the world called the customer room is something we began in 1984 at Land's End where we hung up um, every kind of product around the room on a wall and looked at how they were all different and how we were telling a hundred different stories to the customers. Today, I've translated it to be around customer goals and how you listen. The work we do with leaders is now transformed into five competencies that are in my book, Chief Customer Officer 2.0, based on how to embed leadership behaviors into business growth. And, and, and so you're right. I mean, it's taken me 35 years to keep sharpening it. You know, during COVID, this importance of humanity is what really pushed me to uh, the three blocks long and how will you be remembered and who are you as people? And my, my approach that really pushes people now to know who you are, know your customer's goals so you can build it and then live it um, and then sustain it. So yeah, I keep on evolving because you have to. And, and also because I think that my role, especially now as kind of the old lady of the sea, is help people recognize that this is an ongoing way for business growth. It's not a program or, you know, some kind of uh, cool thing of the moment. It's sustainable, but you have to keep evolving it. Yeah. And I love that, you know, along that evolution or that sort of discovery journey, you've actually taken the time to map it out for other people. Because as you mentioned earlier, you've written four books on the topic and including Chief Customer Officer and Chief Customer Officer. Officer 2.0, which you just referenced there. I mean, how did each of these come about and, and, and what is the different story that you wanted to tell with each one? <laughs> the first Chief Customer Officer book came out in 2006. I had left Microsoft in 2002 and had started doing a lot of public speaking. We had an ill child during that period, right after that period as well. And so I had a little bit of a break there for a year. She's fine now. But 
what I knew was I needed to write a book about this work because nobody had written about the role or the, the grueling approach that it took to glue silos together and to gain the engagement of the CEO and the leadership team. So I was grateful that uh, Josie Basser Wiley wanted to publish this book. They wanted to call it customer ownership. And I said to them, this is completely opposite end of the coin of what this is supposed to be. So they they begrudgingly let me call it Chief Customer Officer 2.0. The subtitle is important, How to Get Lit Past Lip Service to Passionate Action. At that point, that book was a little bit of a rant. It was everything I had gone through in 25 years and helping people who are also going through it figure it out and know they had a friend in me. It was like being shot out of a cannon. It was fascinating and wonderful all at the same time. A couple of years after that, I wrote a book called I Love You More Than My Dog, Five Decisions mm-hmm. That Drive Extreme Customer Loyalty and Good Times and Bad. And all of my books are there for a different reason. The CCO books, I have two of them, are about helping to navigate the silos and and the methodology around uniting an organization. The dog book and then the other book I wrote about that I'll talk to you about in a minute are about inspiration and giving, showing people the beacon companies. So the dog book is really around decide with, decide to believe, decide with clarity of purpose, decide to be real, decide to be there and decide to uh, uh, forgive, you know, decide to say sorry. And it was about fundamentally shifting leaders and organizations to what they were going to do. In 2015, I rewrote the CCO book because I had been coaching leaders for so long and felt that it was important to give them a more rigorous framework, which I had been using. And so I basically gave away my whole coaching approach. People thought I was nuts, but again, it's been lovely and wonderful. And I've had the best time engaging with people and coaching them on that content as well. And then in 2015, I felt like CX had become, again, this very complicated thing and we were losing the forest for the trees on it, um, focusing way too much on mechanics like VOC only as all the work you do or journey mapping only that then, you know, turned into 4,500 Visio maps. So I wrote a book called, Would You Do That to Your Mother? And um, Mm -hmm. that book has been wonderful. So those are my four books and why I wrote each one. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. 
Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So let's get a little bit more into the weeds then in some of the work that you do in terms of coaching and and some of the advice that you give to companies. I've seen that you've written before that in order for CX to drive growth, it must rise above the fray of being defined by reactive problem solving to the most recent customer calamity or chasing survey scores. I have to say, I really love that insight. And it led me to a framework that you've devised called the five competencies. I'd love to delve into each of those if we can, but maybe before we get kind of really deeply involved in each one, would you be able to, to, to list them off in a quick way? Sure. The the five competencies, again, are these, these things that came out of these this 35 years of doing work. And they are honor customers as the asset of the business, meaning at the end of the day, it's the customer voting with their feet that mm-hmm. tells you if the experience you delivered was worth it for them. Align around experience, which is reuniting the work of the business around customers' goals, not your internal goals or what you think is important. A lot of companies, you ask them what their journey map is and it's their pipeline, their funnel. I'm like, that's not a goal map. Build a customer listening path means aggregating multiple sources of information by each goal. And then uh, have a customer early warning system or proactively reach out knowing the KPIs or the metrics that are important to your customer, not you. And then the prove it competency. Prove to your employees that you're lining up or putting your money where your mantra is by supporting their ability to deliver value. I love it. So maybe we could delve into each of those in a little bit more detail. So, I mean, you you said there at the start that a company needs to start treating its customers as assets. How can somebody start the groundwork on that? Well, the whole point of this is math. You need to build a one company version of the truth, as I call it, as a result of the experience we delivered in this month or quarter or year How many new customers did we bring in, volume and value? Now, that takes everybody agreeing on what is new and what is a customer, because a lot of times the salespeople feel like they own this information. Mm -hmm. Then the math is, okay, how many did we lose in this month or quarter or year? Either customers that walked away from completely or customers who downgraded. And so the real number in customer asset growth is the net growth or loss of the customer base. At the end of the day, that's... Uh, what we need to care about. And that then builds the whole path for really caring about the why and implementing and living the rest of the competencies. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure it would actually make an awful lot of sense to people within the SaaS ecosystem, for sure. You've said on your website that you recommend a blueprint for storytelling over journey mapping. Do you want to expand on that a little bit for us? Sure. That's what I call a goal map. And it's really rewriting the blueprint for the organization to, instead of being what you want to get from a customer, rewrite it to be what goals your customer wants to achieve as a result of working with you. And then in terms of a a listening path, what advice would you give to a CX leader who wants to move their team beyond surveys? You, You know, I think this is about aggregating a lot of sources of information. What we what we do is we present survey results and everybody goes scurrying off or we present the verbatims from complaints and everybody goes scurrying off. This is about gluing 
the way you categorize information together and then aggregating it multiple sources by goals. So you're telling a balanced story of the customer's life. And then your fourth one, which you touched on earlier, and it's something that I think really speaks to us here in Intercom, but I suppose it's celebrating proactive support because you've called that, and I love this analogy, revenue erosion early warning system. Can you tell us a little bit about why you feel this is so integral as part of the five competencies? Well, you know, you need to know before your customer tells you that things have gone off on the rails. You know, if you're waiting for complaints or survey results, you've already, the customer's got their foot halfway out the door. And and again, this is about recalibrating the metrics and what you measure. If you're only measuring things you care about and you're not measuring what the customer is going through, then you may think everything is hunky-dory. I mean, we're giving ourselves green dots all over the place when in fact, From the customer's point of view, they're red because we're not really doing what they need. And so this is about knowing when those red dots are happening from the customer standpoint and, and having a path to reach out and prevent value erosion. Sure. And then your last one is the prove it to me competency. Is this something that kind of has to come chronologically after the others or is it something that we should be doing from the ground up? No, we work on these simultaneously. You know, I mean, a lot of times we will work on a prove it to me action item early in the game, for example, we'll find, get our people involved in identifying stupid rules that get in their way of delivering value and kiboshing some of those rules so that our employees have hope and um, realize that we're, again, this is a real thing that we're committed to. Yeah. And I think a lot of CX leaders that we've spoken to over the course of this series have certainly said that actually giving their teams the ability to have creative input and actually some control over the decision-making process really helps in terms of building accountability amongst a team. It's very true. So then from your experience, Jean, in implementing these five competencies, what sort of results have organizations seen by adopting the framework? Uh, You know, I call it a cycle of virtuous growth. It's, you know, it's proactive, but it also culturally changes how you choose to grow. One of the things we also do are non-negotiables or build a guide for decision-making goal by goal. What will we always do? What will we never do? It, it unites leadership. It removes the reactivity of the work from reacting to survey scores to, you know, having a consistent pattern and path for understanding, growing and continuing forward. And one thing you've spoken about before, and I suppose it, it, it like thematically, it very much fits in with your career to date, but that it clarifies the role of the customer experience executive, such as chief customer officer. No surprise, that's the name of your book, vice president of customer experience, et cetera. I feel that, that that's something that's important to you. And I'd love to hear why you think it's generally beneficial across organizations. If you can provide clarification on that role of that chief executive in that sphere, then you're, you're kind of telling a story really for the wider organization that's placing that part of the organization on a, on a really important level with other orgs within the org. Right. You know, I mean, a big part of the role, if you have this kind of a role, is about uniting the C-suites, not mm-hmm. about owning necessarily. So okay. that's a fundamental difference. You're exactly right. Yeah, because that's that's something that you talk about quite a lot, actually, is the unification that a good customer experience team can bring. You know, in terms of that, in terms of working, uh, you know, cross-functionally with other teams, where do you see the like 
natural allies being, you know, where there's the least work to do in terms of finding ways of working with each other? And where are there more pain points, do you think? You know, I can't really say it's going to depend on every company. Sure. And, and, and it's not silo by silo. It's really customer goal by customer goal. And, and I can't really give a blanket answer to that, quite honestly. Okay, that's fair enough. Jean, I'd love to hear a little bit about your podcast, actually, just as a fellow podcaster. I'd love to hear how that came about and, and how it's going for you. Um, it's going well. We've done, gosh, I think 300 of them at least by now. I've been, you know, my goal has always been sharing the true stories, the real life stories of other people leading this work. So A, people can take action items from it and B, so that they know that they're not alone. And so, yeah, we've been having a lot of fun. For me, it's about giving and giving back. And it's called I love the it. Customer Officer Human Duct Tape Show. Fantastic. I love the title, actually. We'll certainly be linking to it for the show notes of this page. Do you have a guest that you, you know, over those 300 episodes that you you maybe chatted to that really stands out as your favorite episode? You know, I wouldn't say favorite because they're all wonderful in many ways. I've been honored to have some really cool people on uh, as we did COVID, as we got into COVID, I wanted to also bring brain expanding people on. And so Tom Peters joined me for an episode. Seth Godin joined me for an episode. Horst Schultze, uh, the founder of Ritz-Carlton, joined me. And those people have been really wonderful and and very generous in gifting their time. So I wouldn't say they're, they're, they're my favorite because also the brave people out there are wonderful. And I, I just have so much ad- admiration for all of them, but I, I've, we've also really enjoyed these folks we don't get to talk to all the time. And it's, it's been a joy to have those uh, folks on the podcast as well. Amazing. And I guess, Jean, this series is really, you know, it's all about hearing how companies can scale their growth. But before we wrap up, I guess I'd love to know, was there a, a kind of turning point in your career that helped you scale professionally to kind of make it a bit more personal? Well, you know, what's fascinating is as you go through doing this work, things evolve. And, and in fact, that's actually why the last question in my podcast show is always, what do you know now that you wish you knew then? Yeah. And for me, I had an epiphany. It was between Land's End and Mazda, I think. I was quite young. When I left Land's End, I was only 32 and went to Mazda. So, you know, you're going on your learning curve. And, and the biggest thing is it's, it's your work. It's not, check your ego at your door, at the door. You need to shine a big spotlight on others. And this work is about uniting and engaging and giving people the ability uh, to do their best work, not only alone, but together, because that's the function that you provide is a comprehensive view and the ability to unite. I love it. And it's it's clearly something, you know, it may have been an epiphany, but it's definitely something that, you know, having read about your career and chatted to you, it's it's something that you've championed the whole way along. Um, I know, but, you know, like any young person and in business, you know, we're encouraged to achieve inside of organizations traditionally by making our own star go brighter and having metrics that are about us. And this is kind of different than how you normally rise inside of an organization. That's very true. It's kind of the hands across America approach to, to like, you know, we'll, we'll all rise together. Yeah. I mean, it's just fundamentally a shift and that's why as we do this work um, and, and if somebody brings a chief customer officer on, 
the CEO really needs to understand this isn't about pinning on their back, increasing NPS three points, right? It's far broader Mm -hmm. than that. And then what's next for you, Jean? What are your big plans or projects that you've got lined up for 2021? Well, I'm, you know, I'm really working on this notion of helping people and companies build their three blocks long and know it, build it, live it. It's been a really fascinating journey. I'm also, you know, like all of everybody else looking forward to having a life again where we can go out and travel and, and hug our friends and our relatives. Yeah, I think we're all looking forward to some in-person conversations as well. Uh, I can't wait to get some guests back in studio, I must say. So lastly then, Jean, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work? Great, thank you. So my website is easy to find, Customer Bliss. That's really my last name. It's not made up. B-L-I-S-S, CustomerBliss.com and at Jean Bliss on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. I love it. And I have to say, as somebody whose surname is ready, I, I always appreciate someone with, with, you know, a word that can be used in a website for their name. Yeah, that was just a lucky thing. I met my husband in a coffee shop in Seattle. So, you know, kind of crazy. And there we go. Brilliant. I love it. Well, listen, Jean, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat to us. My pleasure and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jean. If you did, we'd love you to give us a review. It helps people like you find their way to our podcasts. We'll be back next week with another great episode of Inside Intercom featuring Wikimedia Foundation COO, Janine Uzel. We hope you'll join us.